welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. This week, we welcomed Jamie Gildard to the pulpit, MTW missionary to France. Good morning. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9 verses 19 through 27. I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible Version. This is the Word of God, so please listen. For though I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may gain more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might gain Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way so that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, so they do it to obtain a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Thus far the word of God. So often hear people say, thus far the word of God. That means everything that went before was the word of God. What you're about to hear is not the word of God. These are my thoughts as the Holy Spirit has helped me prepare this. This is a, a passage that's got dozens of different possibilities for messages, dozens of different lessons. So I'm not prepared to try all of those at once. But the context of this is interesting. In, in 1 Corinthians, one of the many issues that Paul was dealing with was there were questions, some rather critical questions. People were criticizing Paul for his status as an apostle. Is he really an apostle? What is he doing here? And why is he doing the things that he does? So he is basically justifying and explaining to the people in Corinth why he is doing, in this part of 1 Corinthians, why he is doing what he's doing. And the part that we're looking at today, um, Paul talks about becoming all things to all people, which is a phrase we often hear today, but that's taken out of context. It's used in the wrong way. Paul is talking about being all things to all people so that some people might be saved. That's verse 22. And he explains how he does this. He explains that it's, it's like a track and field championship. And in ancient Greece, and God's, this is God's word that refers to this being like a track and field championship. It's not my words, even though I am fascinated with track and field. 
Um, in ancient Greece, there were four major track and field championships. The Olympic Games that we've all heard about, because that still exists, but there were three other ones. One of those other track and field competitions was right outside the city of Corinth. Corinth sits on an isthmus, love that word, um, an isthmus joining the mainland of Greece with the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And so they were called the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were held right next to Corinth. So everybody in Corinth knew what he was talking about when he referred to as the Games, because they were very closely, they knew all about those, those games in Corinth. And when Paul spoke of the competition, um, it would be like if you're talking to somebody in our area of France, when you talk to somebody in Toulouse about a sport, if say if you talk about oh, what you call called soccer, they're familiar with that enough, but what they really are crazy about is rugby. Rugby is the big sport in our corner of France. So if you speak of the, the Tournoi de Six Nations, that's the Tournament of Six Nations, they all know what that is. It's a big international competition between six countries, all of them in Europe, who are playing rugby against each other. So if you make reference to that, they know what you're talking about. And Paul was good at putting things into context this way. When he went to Athens in Acts 17, and he talked to the people there, he referenced the idols that they were worshiping because he wanted to make sure that they were clued into what he's talking about. So he, he does this very often. It's a way of explaining and a way of explaining in a way that people know what he's talking about. So in verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you will win. And he's writing here of the Christian life, that you run it in a, such a way as to win. We'll explain what that means in a minute. According to verse 25, the competitors win a race to win a wreath or, or a crown, which is perishable. And we are encouraged to win a, a crown that's imperishable in verse 25. Paul makes this comparison to the, the crowns that were won in the, all of the ancient games, the Olympics, the Isthmian games. All of those games, there was a, the prize was not a medal. It wasn't a gold or a silver or a bronze medal, but the, the prize, rather, was a, a little wreath of, made of laurels or olives, olive leaves or something like that. And they would wear that. You've seen the, the images of, of Greeks wearing those or even Romans wearing those little, those little wreaths. Well, as you can imagine, something that's made out of plant after a time, that decays. It doesn't last for a lifetime. After several weeks, uh, that, that was it. Those things were gone. Now, in our day, we've got a great Olympic champion by the name of Usain Bolt, who many of you have heard about. He won eight gold medals in the Olympics from 2008 up through 2016, three different Olympic Games. He won lots of gold medals, fastest human in the history of the world. But those gold medals don't last forever. Even the memory of those doesn't last. They, they ultimately fade into the fog of history. A hundred years ago, there was Olympic Games in 1920. Um, and who can remember who won the gold medal in that game? Goodness, a guy named Charlie Paddock, but it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's irrelevant because nobody remembers the guy's name today. Or the Olympic Games of 1952 or uh, 1972. Or even 2000 is more recent. A guy named Maurice Green, an American, won the 100-meter, uh, fastest man in the world at that time, but already, here we are, 23 years later, already faded. And it's, that is what we call a, a perishable crown. And if we think of the people most admired in American culture tend to be entertainers. Entertainment is, is almost like a, a religion in America. And they have, we have all these little false gods and 
But if we think about the people who we, we all know about because they're big entertainers, they're, they're big singers, or they're, they're notable actors in Hollywood, but if you think maybe just a few centuries ago and try to think, well, who was the most well-known singer of the 1600s? I have no idea. Or the greatest actor of that period. Again, I have no idea. Because all those things fade in history. Those things don't really count. They don't last. And that's Paul's point, is that even if you do the very best in the games, it doesn't last. Those crowns, they, they perish, as do the gold medals, the silver medals, the Oscar awards, etc. in our day. Those things are all temporary. So what's our uh, imperishable crown? Well, as Paul rightly points out, in track and field, there's only one person that wins. But everybody who's saved, everybody who's saved by Christ has eternal life. So in that sense, we all win. But that's not really what Paul's driving at here. He's got his eyes on something else. Just before we read running to gain the crown in verses uh, 19 to 23, there's an explanation that this race isn't about my individual salvation. It's not about me. It's about somebody else. He says, I've made myself a slave to all that I might gain more. To the Jews, I became like a Jew so that I might gain Jews. To those who are without the law, that means the non-Jews, the, the Gentiles. This is verse 21. I became as one without the law, so that I might gain those who are without the law, that is to gain the Gentiles. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I might by all means save some. So this is his goal. His goal is to have people be saved, people come to Christ. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, he says in 23. This is what he's about. He's about evangelism. That's what he's talking about here. That is the crown that he's talking about. So in this context, it's, it's about evangelism. In verse 22, he becomes all things to all people so that he might, by all means, save some. Now, all things to all people, that's going to change. That's going to change from one culture to the next. And even in, in one culture, say if you're talking about Fort Smith, Arkansas, it's going to be different from one generation to another. I have children who are in their 20s and some in their early 30s, and oftentimes I can't understand a word they say. But that's, there is a different context, a different culture in a sense that passes from generation to generation. In France, for example, um, you don't do door-to-door -door evangelism because that's what Jehovah's Witnesses do, and only people who are involved in some kind of crazy cult would do that. And nobody's going to listen to you. You're going to get the door slammed in your face. But worse than that, the group that you're working for, the church that you're working for, is going to get a bad reputation if you do that. So you don't go door to door. Instead, you concentrate on developing relationships with people. That is accepted. You can talk to people if you've gained the right to, to their trust, really, that you can explain the gospel to them. So it takes a little while to build those relationships. It's not as quick as door to door. But if you want to communicate in that culture, this is what you do. Living in France, you, you live as, as the French do. You become like them, exactly as Paul says. To the Jews, he's like a Jew. To the Gentiles, he's like a Gentile. To the French, you become like the French. That's what you do. You become like them. When I'm talking to the Muslims, something like 10, 12% of the population of France is Muslims. Most of them are not practicing Muslim. Just like most people in France will tell you, you know, they'll say, I'm a Catholic and I don't believe God exists. 
That might sound strange to your ears, but in France it makes perfect sense. Catholic is just an identity. It doesn't have anything to do with what you believe, necessarily. It's the same with the Muslims. The Muslims, guy says he's Muslim, chances are he has no idea what's inside the Koran because they're not practicing. It's just a label. It's just an identity. But nevertheless, if I'm talking to a Muslim, I'm not going to invite him over to a meal and have pork. That would, I would block communication. I'm not trying to block communication. I'm trying to make connections with him. So I might talk about Abraham, and I might talk about Abraham's sons, make a connection, because the Jews and the Muslims are cousins in a sense, biologically. By faith, no, but by, biologically, yes. So that's a way to open a door. It's a way to start speaking. How you say and when you say bonjour is very complicated in France, and I'm not going to begin to go into that. <laughs> but one thing I learned the hard way most of the things I learned about French culture, I learned the hard way. It's, uh, you have to be willing to be very, very embarrassed to, to work there. <laughs> but one of the things I did um, is I had returned from the United States. And when we're in the United States, we spend most of the time in the Southeast. You greet people, hug. And there was a neighbor of ours who lived right upstairs of the apartment above ours in Marseille. And the first time I saw her after I returned, I said, Babe, her name is Babe. Babe, great to see you. Hug. This skinny little aged woman went rigid on me and her eyes got big as saucers. I, I was so embarrassed. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I've done this. She must have thought I was a crazy person. Who in the right mind? But you don't do that. You do the bisous. Kiss on each side of the cheek. That's what I should have done. It's, um, it's easy to commit these errors. But you learn. You learn to do things in the culture because you're trying to communicate. Your goal is to communicate. Just like Paul did in Athens. Paul's behavior and his words would change to adapt to the culture that he's in. Even though he has liberty in Christ, Paul, in today's world, would not be eating pork in front of a Muslim. Even though he had a right to eat pork, he's not going to do that because his goal is to communicate. He's not content to have eternal life for himself. He wants to share it with others. He wants other people coming to Christ. This is the crown that he's after. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, he says. So in a, in a sport context, as Paul is using, he's not content to sit on the bench and let his teammates score the goals. He wants to get in the game himself. Now, as you probably know, in European football, soccer for y'all, um, oftentimes a game is going to be like 2-1, to 3-1. to one. If a team's really lousy, it might be 7 to nothing. But you don't see the kind of scores you see in basketball. No. <laughs> but in real life, if we're playing European football in a spiritual sense, the team of Jesus has already scored a couple hundred and Satan hasn't scored at all. So we know, and there's only two minutes left to play, we know who's going to win. Okay, that's already been decided. That has already been decided. There's no question about it. You're sitting on the bench. Jesus has given us a chance, an opportunity, a privilege to take part. This is incredible. This is wonderful. It's, a, it's just fantastic. Well, we got a choice. We could sit on the bench, but we don't have to. We can get up and, and actually go into the game, participate in this, be part of his great victory. To help others find eternal life in Jesus Christ is really a worthwhile goal. And it's what we're called to do in God's, in God's word here. Now, your role could be direct evangelism for Christ's kingdom. Like, 
what Jackie and I do in France. Almost all the work that we do is evangelism, discipleship, very elementary, basic missionary type work. But the role could be one of prayer. This is one that we are all called to. We are all called to be engaged in prayer for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom, that it would be expanded, that it would draw in more people. It could be uh, a role of inviting others. It's kind of funny, you don't see mention of Andrew a lot in the Gospels. And yet he's one of the principal disciples of Christ. Yet, what was he up to, Andrew? Well, one of the things you do see him doing, he's, he's always inviting people. Inviting people to do this and meet Jesus. Inviting people to that. Andrew was the great inviter. I don't know if that's a word, but that's what he was. He was a great inviter. And that could be your role. You could be called to be a great inviter. Like Andrew. Your role could be explaining the gospel to your friends and relatives. Most of us have friends and relatives, one or maybe two or three or maybe more, who are not saved. And that could be our role, explaining the gospel to them in a way that they understand it. That doesn't mean you sugarcoat the gospel because you can't change the sense and the meaning of the gospel. But you can speak of it in terms that people understand. The goal is communication. The goal is their understanding. The goal is not sugarcoating. You're not, you're not out to do a sales pitch to buy a convertible or something. This is con You're trying to communicate something that's super important. So you don't want to change the meaning at all. Maybe the role is uh, to be involved in a project, like a gospel concert or something. Maybe it's to be involved in a mercy project, a mercy ministry. Maybe your role is to become a missionary. Maybe even a missionary to France. We, we do need more. So there are a number of different roles involved in spreading the gospel. And those roles can, can actually change over the lifetime. When I was much younger, I wasn't called to be a missionary. I didn't become a missionary until I was in my 40s. So those things can change over a lifetime. But what does that mean for our lives right now? Well, number one, when you do talk to your relatives or your friends, or those who you feel called to talk to about the gospel of Christ, you've got to make certain that what you're communicating is the gospel. And that's all evangelism is. It's communicating the gospel. Communication, super important, but what you communicate is the gospel. Leviticus 26.12, I love this verse. <laughs> I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. God created us to have a relationship with him. That kind of language is not going to be used by any other God. It's amazing. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. That's just tremendous. And yet, what happens to this relationship that God created us to have this relationship with? What happens to the relationship? From the beginning, from Adam and Eve, human beings, we have cut our relationships with God by our thoughts, our feelings, things that are contrary to the will of God. I say contrary to the will of God. If you use the word sin in France, they don't get it. To French people, if you say sin, sin equals Catholic, equals Pope, equals anything that you, anything that you do that you like, God doesn't like it, which isn't what sin is. So instead, I tell them that which is contrary to the will of God, which is sin. And it can be your thoughts, it can be your feelings. It can be your words. It can be your actions. It can be your 
the, the things that you neglect to do. And so it, it covers quite a bit, but anything in your life that's contrary to the will of God, that's how we break our relations with Him. And in effect, in doing so, we reject God. It's an affront to God. God's Word tells us that we deserve eternal separation from God for that. He didn't reject us, we rejected Him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And we would remain eternally separated from Him because uh, an eternal separation from God, that's spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 So eternally separated, forever separated from the presence of God if we're not reconciliated with Him. It's Jesus that reconciles us with God by his death on the cross. He died for us and he tasted that separation when he was on the cross. Romans 5, 8, we read that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. He rose from the dead to prepare an eternal dwelling place for us. In John 5, 11, and 12, we read that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the Son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Pretty unequivocal words. It's very, very straightforward. I'm working with a guy right now in France that has a lot of trouble with that because he's pretty much universalist. He says, well, there's many, many ways that you can get to God. You don't have to go just through Jesus. I said, well, did Jesus ever say that? He said, well, I don't know. I said, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I'm sure he didn't mean it like that. Well, that's what he said. (laughs) But that's the truth. And so without eternal life, without that reconciliation from Jesus, people are separated from God. And we don't want that for those who we love. We don't want that for those that we are called to talk to. And so that's what we need to communicate to them. Ask that he would pardon your acts and thoughts and feelings that are contrary to his will and that you, the person you're talking to would make Jesus Christ the authority over their life and would follow him. So if you already know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and most of you do, Paul's message applies directly to you because of Jesus' words. Because he says in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what we need to do is learn how to communicate the gospel. And if you have questions about that, talk to your elders. That's one of the reasons they're around. Um, And Seek teaching on that subject of evangelism. Pray to Jesus Christ. Ask him what role you might have in winning the crowns for Christ's kingdom. And in doing that, it it could be one of the roles that I mentioned earlier. So pray uh, what role God might have you do there. Pray whether the Lord would have you go to the mission field. And pray, above all, pray for those people that do not yet know Jesus Christ. Now, Paul terminates this section in 1 Corinthians with a very curious little warning. He says, I run in such a way, this is verse 26, I run in such a way as to not uh, not to run aimlessly, and I box in such a way to avoid hitting air, just kind of (laughs) swinging your fist around and hitting nothing. 
but I strictly discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Disqualified? Did Paul say disqualified? Did Paul write disqualified? Is he worried about losing his own salvation? No, he's not. If you, if you read Romans 8, 29-39, it's one of my favorite parts of the Bible, you see Paul's very, very confident of his own salvation because his confidence isn't in himself, it's in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for him. And Paul assures us that God saves us and nobody, nobody can change that decision of God. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30. So Paul knows this. Paul is very, very certain of his own salvation. But he regarded his salvation as something more precious than an athletic crown. And that's what Paul's focusing on. He doesn't want to be ineffective in what he's doing. He doesn't want to run aimlessly. He wants to be effective in his ministry. So this is what we want to do to win the crowns that he's talking about. So in order uh, to exercise this privilege to be part of Jesus' team, or more accurately because it's engaging in spiritual warfare, it's to be in his army and be part of this great victory to win the great crowns for him. This is a great opportunity, and we need to approach this in the same way, Paul says, that athletes consecrate their minds and their bodies for the Olympic Games. And Paul's not soft on himself, but he sacrifices even the liberties he has to become more effective. Now, Paul faced a lot of adversary, as we know, in his adversity in his ministry, and anybody serving in God's army is going to face adversity. That's going to happen. Whether you're praying or giving or going, the opposition is going to be there because the evil one does not want you doing anything to further Christ's kingdom. But we know that Jesus will win in the end. And training to win a world title is not light work. So Paul encourages us to train like, like an Olympian. I come from Maryland, and there was a swimmer from Maryland named Michael Phelps. You might be familiar with him. Michael Phelps won 23 Olympic gold medals, more than any human in history. That's a lot of swimming. <laughs> um, but he did, during the time of his life when he was picking up those gold medals, for years and years and years, he didn't really do a whole lot other than training for hours on end. He ate a specific diet. Even what he ate was dedicated and focused on winning medals or winning swimming races. When he went to bed, when he got up, was dictated by winning those, those competitions. So this kind of focusing your life on what I am doing for Christ, this is what Paul is calling us to. Not to live like everybody else. Live like somebody who's bent on seeing people brought to Christ. To go into these roles seriously. To go into these roles with all your heart. To have a role in that great victory, one doesn't live like the rest of the world because we're concentrating on the goal. We speak in a way to be understood by the people that we're talking to, and we act in a way that reflects our Savior and not ourselves. It's kind of a humble activity, in all honesty. The man who first got me interested in missions was a black man from Maine, of all places, uh, whose name was Adolf. Raised in the 40s, his parents named him Adolf. 
But Adolf was an amazing person in that when you talk to Adolf, he was a good friend of mine. He's with the Lord now. But Adolf, when you talk to him, you would hear a lot about Jesus and almost nothing about Adolf. And what Adolf wanted to see was people brought to Christ. And Adolf was focused. I've never met anyone like him in my life. He was an amazing person. But Adolf was almost invisible. What you heard and what you saw with Adolf was Jesus. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Don't ask about me, ask about Jesus. He was just an amazing person. But this is what we're called to be. We're called to have lives that are focused on winning people to Christ. Winning people to Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier that we were grateful to you all for your prayers. And for those of you that weren't in Sunday school, it's absolutely true that the things that we've seen happen in France, people coming to Christ, people growing in Christ, we've seen amazing things happen because prayers of people like you have been answered. You do the heavy lifting of missions every time you pray for missions. You're doing the heavy lifting. God is listening to those prayers. And it's very encouraging to those of us on the field, especially in a country like France where you don't see a whole lot of movement. You don't see hundreds of people coming at once. But since the time that we've been there, we've seen the church grow from half of 1% of the population to almost 2%. And for you mathematical geniuses out there, that means it's like quadrupled. The number of Christians is quadrupled. Yeah, it's a long way to go. Two per, less than 2% is a tiny number. But still, that is significant growth. God is at work because people are praying. And on behalf of the church in Tournefoy, <laughs> I want to thank you because they thank you for doing that heavy lifting of missions. You're playing a part of that role. You didn't stay on the bench. and We, we are grateful for that. There are imperishable crowns to win for Christ. Crowns that last a whole lot longer than the fame of this world a lot longer than the wealth of this world or the pleasures of this world or even your memories of your favorite vacation. Those crowns last longer than all the things that we cherish in life or the, the things that we're so fond of. Those crowns are worth your energies. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you give us the privilege of taking a role in winning this great victory for you. We thank you so much for the people who are praying, the people who are going, the people who are giving, the people who are doing all these things to be part of your team, who are playing a part, playing a role on the team in your army. Lord, we pray that you would just be motivating and energizing people like never before here in Fort Smith and elsewhere, because there are lost people everywhere. They're all around us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us, would work in people's hearts, that they might be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. 
Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.